I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking back on Arsenal's pre-season victory over Everton in Baltimore. We're going to be discussing the game, we're going to be discussing some of the takeaways from it, uh, as well as getting you guys' thoughts and questions from the live chat box. Really, really looking forward to this one. I've had a beautiful lay-in this morning, I feel so refreshed in comparison uh, to the way I felt over the last few days. So really, really looking forward to diving headfirst into this edition of the podcast and chatting with you guys regarding last night's game. If you were at the game last night as well, because I know we've got a lot of listeners, a lot of viewers stateside, please let me know how it was. What was the experience like? Because from here, looking at all the pictures, looking at all the social media posts, it looked incredible. And one of the things I'm always kind of taken aback by when Arsenal go on a preseason tour, particularly to the States. And I know that, you know, it's the same in, in lots of other places as well. But the the level of support that Arsenal have all over the globe just never ceases to amaze me. It's incredible when you actually kind of broaden your horizons, open your eyes and understand what a huge, huge football club this is. And that's because for years and years and years, you know, the club have been... Um, much loved. We've played incredible brands of football, particularly, uh, of course, under Arsene Wenger. We were very successful for long periods under Arsene Wenger as well. And obviously that helps to grow your global fan base. But when you see it, when you see stadiums um, full of Arsenal fans based mainly in that particular part of the world, it makes you realise that the world is so much bigger than North London and actually Arsenal's appeal is so much greater than just here in London. It's incredible. Really, really brilliant to see. Um, and uh, and keep those videos coming. I've seen lots of you posting stuff on social media, pictures, etc., etc. Keep that stuff coming as well. Um, always great to see, honestly. It, it kind of, it makes me realise how lucky I am to support a club like Arsenal and how lucky I am to be in a place now where I literally talk about Arsenal uh, for a living because, there's very few things I'd rather talk about <laughs> if I'm being completely honest. But look, um, good to see you all in the live chat. There's plenty of you with us. Let me just remind you guys before uh, we dive uh, head first into the match uh, that if you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video. Uh, also subscribe to the channel if you're new. I noticed when I woke up this morning that we hit 23,000 subscribers here on YouTube alone. That doesn't include all the wonderful people that tune in via the audio platforms as well. This platform is growing like mad, um, and I'm, I'm loving it. I'm really, really appreciative of all of your support. Uh, so thank you, and uh, keep it coming. But if you're new, if you are freeloading on this video right now, make sure you are subscribed to the channel. as We look to push towards 25K. I want to get to 25K by the end of the year. That's my aim. If we can get there quicker, great. Um, it would be amazing. But please, if you haven't done so already, make sure you are subscribed. Okay. So first of all, if you're UK-based, how did you get on staying up till gone two o'clock in the morning? It was one of those very, very humbling experiences, wasn't it? Because often, you know, we, we talk about overseas fans and there are a lot of Arsenal fans and a lot of football fans in the UK in general who I think, turn their noses up at overseas fans. You turn their noses up at people who 
perhaps don't have the opportunity to go and watch Arsenal week in, week out in the flesh. But ultimately, when you think about the sacrifice that those people overseas make to get up at crazy hours, to start their days, sometimes at 4, 5 a.m. to watch an Arsenal game, it's a pretty big commitment. And whenever we have a preseason tour like this and I have to get up or stay up till crazy o'clock to watch the game, I then have a thought again uh, for those people. Uh, who, of course, do that week in, week out. Um, look, for me, I sat down, um, you know, I sat down at midnight to watch the game. It was midnight here in the UK. I bought the stream, et cetera, et cetera. And I was thinking about doing a watch along with you guys yesterday. I did mention it earlier on in the week, but I just had one of those days. Um, those of you might have seen on my social media, I was uh, covering Reading against West Ham in a preseason friendly for BBC Radio London. And so I got up in the morning, got my stuff ready. I drove down to Reading, um, got into the ground, set myself up, covered the game. It was an awful game of football, I have to say. Um, watched that, managed to get a couple of post-match interviews, et cetera, et cetera. Got in the car, drove straight back to London from Reading and went straight to a birthday party that I had to attend. And then I left from there and came straight home to watch the game. And you know, I've got to say, in the second half, at one point, I was dozing. I was drifting. Um, I was really, really struggling to stay awake. I, I made a coffee at the start. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I thought that that would keep me going. It didn't. And midway through the second half, I did fall asleep for about, I'm going to say, seven, eight minutes. And luckily, my wife, who was up getting a drink of water, I think she was struggling to sleep because of the weather. Uh, she kind of popped her head into the living room and saw me there and was like, aren't you supposed to be watching this match? How are you supposed to do any work around it? And I was like, yeah, you're right. Thanks for waking me. And from then on, I was OK, um, which was lucky. But it isn't easy. It really isn't easy. So, again, I tip my hat to those people that do that week in, week out. Let's talk about uh, the team that Mikel Arteta named to start the game. Now, there were a few absentees uh, even still from the squad, which we're going to talk about a little bit later on, because we're going to touch on um, the press conference that Mikel Arteta gave after the game. I think there were some really important points in there that we need to uh, we need to discuss, we need to be across. But um, obviously, Mikel Arteta, I thought, named a pretty strong side uh, to start the game in Baltimore against Everton, of course, Premier League opposition. I'll just share the screen with you guys, uh, for those of you that maybe missed it, so that you can see uh, exactly who was named in that starting 11. Hold on a second. Here we go. So uh, it was Matt Turner in goal. It was a back four of Cedric, Saliba, Gabriel and Tavares. Partey and Xhaka were in the midfield with Odegaard. Saka uh, played from the right-hand side, Martinelli from the left and Gabriel Jesus starting from the middle. Now, when I um, when I saw this team came out, uh, saw this team come out, I beg your pardon, the highlights for me were Saliba starting. was really, really curious to see how William Saliba was going to get on. And I know it's a preseason friendly and I know you shouldn't take too much uh, from that. And we'll come back to him in a minute. But the highlights for me from the team that started the game with Saliba in the side was a front three of Saka, Martinelli and Jesus. I mean, how exciting is that uh, as a prospect? And then uh, it was great to see Odegaard in the starting 11. It was great to see Thomas Partey in the starting 11 as well, because we haven't seen him 
um, too much in preseason uh, just yet. Interesting that Nuno Tavares started the game. I mean, there's been a lot of speculation about him leaving the club. I don't think this really makes any difference in that. But um, we do understand that the talks that were potentially um, going to progress between uh, Arsenal and Marseille over William, I almost said William Saliba, just so used to saying Marseille and Saliba, over Nuno Tavares, understood to have broken down. Uh, so it doesn't look like that's going to happen, at least for now anyway. But yeah, those were the kind of highlights for me. And then it was obviously great to see, um, you know, the players on the bench. There was no Bern Leno on the bench, which was interesting because he's been obviously heavily linked with a move away to Fulham. There were some reports yesterday doing the rounds that Fulham had made an offer around about the £10 million mark. And Arsenal had actually gone back and said, no, we want 15. I don't know how true that is. I don't know how accurate that is. But obviously, he wasn't in the side um, at all. Okonkwo, Bellerin, Mari, uh, Walters, Holding, Maitland-Niles, Elneny, Laconga, Torreira, Pepe, Nelson, Balogun and Enketia made up the bench for Mikel Arteta's side. And what's really been interested is kind of, uh, been interesting, I beg your pardon, is the rise of Rule Walters. Um, you know, I hadn't seen... Uh, an awful lot of him, um, you know, prior to this preseason. But obviously he got a game against Nuremberg. I thought he did pretty well. And again, he was involved uh, last night. He seems to be someone that Mikel Arteta has really, really, um, you know, gravitated towards, warmed to in terms of the way he's kind of carried himself out and carrying his performances out and the way he's developing. So watch this space with Rule Walters because i got to say, he's one that came completely out of nowhere. Now I heard on the Arsenal commentary uh, when watching the game that actually Rule Walters had come into the under-23 side to replace Brooke Norton Cuffey, who had gone out on loan. And, and essentially, it was meant to be a temporary thing, but he impressed so much that he seemed to wrangle his way into that side, became um, a pretty uh, important player at that level and has now obviously uh, managed to force his way, at least for pre-season, into the first-team picture, which is exciting. Let's go through some of um, the individual performances then. Uh, we've we've talked you through the team. Uh, let's start with William Saliba, because I think he was the one that everybody was kind of looking at and thinking, right, come on, son, now's your time uh, to show us what you can do. And I've got to say, let's be honest, this is a preseason friendly. This isn't a game in which you can really make a judgment about the player, but you can get a feel and you can get a bit of a vibe as to how someone is going to fit in. Um, and I just think he fit in really, really seamlessly. Obviously, Ben White was unavailable. We'll come on to talk about that in a little bit when we run through Mikel Arteta's comments. But physically, William Saliba gives you, as Rob so brilliantly puts in the chat, a presence. He gives you a presence, right? He's there. He's physical. He's powerful. He looks like a centre-half. I know that's a really basic and simplistic thing to say, but he's got that aura about him. And obviously having gone away and having been out on loan and having really built himself up in terms of not just his uh, experience, but his confidence as well. I think that's key for a centre-back. Somebody like William Saliba, if you can transmit that kind of aura that we talk about, it can often be half of the battle as a centre-half. Now, you've still got to be good at what you do. You've still got to be uh, spot-on in your decision-making. There's so many things that, you know, uh, come with being a good centre-back. But if you think about Virgil van Dijk, now I'm not for a second comparing William Saliba to Virgil van Dijk, right? They're still miles apart in terms of their qualities. But when you think about 
Virgil van Dijk and you watch Virgil van Dijk, what you see and what you get from him is a presence. And that presence often leads to attackers hesitating in um, in in what they're going to do next. You know, you can get the ball. By the time you bring it under control and you glance up and you see Virgil van Dijk there, you're kind of in two minds. Do I take this guy on? I'd normally take this guy on, but can I take this guy on? Am I good enough to take this guy on? And again, I'm not comparing Saliba to Virgil van Dijk because he's nowhere near there yet. But the point I'm trying to make is that that presence can be half of the battle as a centre-half. It's a really, really big thing. You almost need to be intimidating. And when I say intimidating, it doesn't mean that you're in someone's face effing and blinding at them. But that intimidation thing as a centre-half, I think, is big. And I think William Saliba's got that. I really, really do. Um, looked comfortable in possession, um, you know, and was playing alongside Gabriel. I would have said that given sort of the, the dynamic in the centre of our defence, that I would have been looking more so at Saliba playing alongside Ben White because... I thought that William Saliba was a little bit closer to Gabriel in the way he plays. And so I quite like the idea of having two, um, two different types of centre-half. I think that balance is really, really important. And I think it's why Gabriel and Ben White form a really, really good partnership because you've got that big physical powerhouse, the presence of Gabriel on the one side, and then you've got that slightly more composed, calmer, a little bit more technically gifted Ben White on the other side. Now, I haven't quite made my mind up which category or which one I think uh, William Saliba resembles most. But my initial impression of him prior to him coming back to Arsenal was that he's more a Gabriel than a Ben White. And actually now looking at him yesterday, I think he's maybe a little bit of a hybrid between the two. And that's going to be really, really interesting because it's going to be interesting to see how Mikel Arteta views that, how he thinks it's best to utilise that who he'll pair him up with, et cetera, et cetera. But this is a guy who's come back to the club, a much better player than the player that left the club, that went out on loan initially after he'd been signed from St. Etienne. And although shit has happened in the past, and we, we can't deny that it has, you know, the, the decision and the, the incompetence shown when we struggled to get him out on loan and, and ultimately left him unregistered for half a season. That was poor. Like, there's no getting away from that. People say, I always make excuses for the club. There is no excuse in that instance. You know, it, it was terrible uh, from Arsenal Football Club. And it's kind of water under the bridge. You don't know how William Saliba's um, feeling off the back of that. And, you know, we heard uh, maybe earlier last week that William Saliba was going to sign a new contract and that it was done. And then there were suggestions that actually... That hasn't been done, um, you know, and, and he's still keeping his options open. We don't really know what the truth is at this moment in time. But what I would say is if I were William Saliba, I would be hesitant to sign a new contract just yet until I know and have a better understanding of what my role within the team is going to be. And that shouldn't mean that we should be, oh, get him out. He doesn't want to be here. Um, you know, he doesn't want to sign a new contract. You, you can't always have that attitude if you want to keep hold of the best players. You know, you've got to be understanding of the player situation and that can go quite a long way in negotiation. So, yeah, let's see how that goes. But I really, really liked what I saw of William Saliba yesterday, although granted it wasn't the game to judge him in, really. Um, obviously, Arsenal switched to three centre-halves at, at one point in the second half as well. I don't think he looked as comfortable in that. 
Um, but I don't think that was necessarily down to him because I think he has played as part of a back three on numerous occasions. I think for me, it was more so the fact that we just looked a little bit disjointed. Having Rob Holding at the centre of that defensive tri trio doesn't exactly fill me with confidence. And some of the passes that Rob Holding was playing were kamikaze at best, um, if you want to put it that way. But yeah, um, overall, an impressive display from him. Uh, just sort of reverting back to the goalkeeper quickly, because Matt Turner obviously played again uh, in goal for the Gunners. I thought he looked more confident on the ball with the ball at his feet than he did against Nuremberg. I thought that he showed that he's probably a little bit better in that in that part of his game than maybe some reports and some analysis that we've seen and read um, has suggested. So I've got encouraged. I've been I've taken away some some sort of encouragement from that that he can potentially um, do maybe to a slightly lesser degree. But what Aaron Ramsdale is in the side to do, which is obviously help us up out with um, with distribution from the back as well. But look, we'll see. We'll see very, very early days. Um, in the midfield, I thought Thomas Partey in the first half looked uh, pretty good, um, playing as that sole defensive midfield pivot. He just does it so easily when he's in full flow. Still didn't look 100% fit to me. Nobody did, though, if we're being honest. Um, but yeah, good to see him back in the side. That front three, oh, Saka, Martinelli, Jesus, just the dynamism that that brings, the movement that you get from those three um, and the excitement that they bring to the table is enough for me, you know. And um, often with preseason games, right, you, you kind of look at them and you go, I've been starved of Arsenal for so long that I can't wait to watch Arsenal back in action. And normally sort of 10, 15 minutes in when the tempo is really slow and the game's really dull, you you think to yourself, yeah, why was I so excited for this? It's actually a load of shit. And and normally preseason games are like that. And I think this one was probably like that in the second half. Um, as you'd expect, it is all about fitness. There are always wholesale changes that no doubt disrupt the flow and ebb of the, the ebb and flow of the game. So I was expecting that. But that first half had me gripped. Just watching those three operate with Martin Odegaard just behind them. Granite Xhaka, I thought, did a good job as well of just keeping the ball moving, keeping the game going. Um, I, I just thought it was it was really, really uh, gripping that first half for a preseason friendly, as far as preseason friendlies go. Um, really, really enjoyed the combination play. Obviously, Gabriel Jesus on the score sheet again. And when that ball came over to him, uh, from the delivery from wide. He just seemed to stop the ball dead, which was brilliant. And that is ultimately what made the goal, right? Um, you know, you 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 trap the ball like that. You stop the ball like that. You set yourself like that. You've got a great chance of scoring. And he finished it brilliantly. And look, listen, people have, have made the case over the last few weeks since we knew that Gabriel Jesus was Arsenal bound and they've gone, he's not clinical enough. He's not going to score enough goals. He's never scored enough goals throughout his Premier League career to suggest that he's going to come into this Arsenal side and score goal after goal after goal. And obviously, preseason is not an awful lot to go by. But what I would say is this. He's a hell of a lot more clinical than anything that we've had at centre forward in the last 12 months. And he brings an energy and a dynamism and an, a football intelligence that I think we've been missing as well. And I just think he's a massive, massive upgrade on what we've had. He's a massive, massive upgrade on um, you know, on Lacazette for sure, on Enketia at this point as well for sure. Listen, Aubameyang 
during his time at Arsenal overall was very, very good and very, very devastating and very, very clinical. But at the end of the day, I think there did come a point where we as a football team and put the disciplinary stuff to one side, we as a football team evolved beyond an Aubameyang, evolved beyond someone who was just going to drift out to the left, get the ball and almost Thierry Henry like want to drift in and score goals. We've evolved away from that. And and that's why Aubameyang, even from footballing, even from a footballing perspective, wasn't the right man anymore. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what Jesus will bring. And, and as I keep saying to people, you know, I was having a, a meal last night um, at a birthday with some friends. And, and one of the conversations that come up was, you know, but that, does Jesus score enough goals? I've said this and I'll say it again. He doesn't need to score 25 goals in the Premier League to be a massive upgrade. Lacazette got four last season. He just needs to bring us 15. You know, he just needs to be um, sort of leading the press. He needs to be involved in the build-up play. There's so many things that he brings to the equation that we just didn't have. And and for those reasons, I'm really, really excited by him. I really, really am. Um, obviously, the second goal, again, involved all three of that incredibly uh, exciting front line. Gabriel Jesus showing that dynamism that I talked about, that versatility that I talked about, drifting out slightly left. He did try to almost stab the ball in field towards Gabriel Martinelli, who couldn't quite get something on it, but Bukayo Saka was in the right position, was following in, and you want to see that killer instinct from your players. And he really, really showed that. You know, he popped up at the far post and he finished it brilliantly. And there it was, Arsenal 2, uh, Everton nil. And there were no more goals in the game because, as I say, I think the rhythm really did get disrupted when the changes were made. Arsenal made changes at half-time and then made changes, um, you know, at various points in the second half as well. And it was very on and off. Uh, but yeah, really, really um, positive vibes coming off of that front line, which um, I really, really enjoyed. Let's take uh, some of your super chats and let's get some of your thoughts on the game as well. Um, just before we move on to Mikel Arteta's press conference, which had some really, really interesting lines in that I want to share with you guys. A uh, big thank you to Tom uh, for your very, very kind donation, mate. Really, really do uh, appreciate it. Um, he says, even though our overall performance wasn't as good in the second half, I was happy to see Arteta changing formation and tactics. That will be a good option against certain teams. Yeah, there was a couple of formation changes in that second half. And I think that that's something that Mikel Arteta, as you say, is, is really big on. Um, that ability to kind of change in-game is something that at times has served us really, really well. I think at times you could argue last season we, we should have done it in-game and maybe didn't. And that was a little bit frustrating. But the fact that the manager is aware of it and is trying to make it happen and trying to put us in a place and in a position where we can do it without it causing mega disruption or without it being something completely new is a positive for sure. Um, look, the second half, it, it did die off. But as I keep saying, preseason game, wholesale changes, you're always going to get that. I always say this to my mates and, and sometimes they kind of poke fun at me when I say things like this. But I always think of a preseason, in a preseason friendly, you're very rarely going to get more than 15, 20 minutes of your team at full tilt. And that'll be that. Because there will be fitness issues. There'll be uh, a struggle to maintain those levels. There'll also be uh, wholesale changes, which I keep talking about, which disrupt the game. You get wholesale changes from the opposition as well. And and I just think that, you know, if you get 15, 20 minutes of, of real positives from a preseason game, that's probably about all you're going to get from it, particularly at this stage 
in preseason where there's still a few games to go before the start of the campaign. Uh, big thank you to uh, Craig as well, our Fort Lauderdale Gooner, who says, Harry, the atmosphere was incredible. There were Gooners literally everywhere when you went downtown. Can't wait for this week's game. Glad that you had a great time, mate, um, and enjoyed it. And uh, thank you, as always, uh, for your very, very kind donation to the channel. Guys, if you haven't hit that like button already, what are you waiting for? I can see there's nearly 700 of you with me live right now on YouTube alone. Um, just 140 likes on the board. Let's get that up to uh, 300 ASAP. Should be light, light work. Um, what else have we got? Uh, let's see what you guys are saying in the chat box. Um, Jaffeni says he'd like to see Eddie and Jesus start in a 4-4-2. It seems to work really, really nicely. I think it's a good option. It's, it's not the way I would go in terms of starting, but I think it's a good option to have. And, you know, we, we tried to do it in the past, didn't we, under Unai Emery at times with Lacquer and Oba. And it, it didn't really work, but I never felt that we had the defensive structure that we do today in terms of our system, in terms of our setup. So maybe it's something worth giving uh, another go as we move forward. Uh, Robert Segal says, Jesus could become our most exciting purchase since Alexis. We need to bring in the creative supply and not waste him like we did in the past. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to seeing him combined with the likes of Odegaard, with the likes of uh, Saka, Smith Rowe, Martinelli, etc., in the uh, not too distant future. And of course, as well, um, really, really looking forward to seeing what Fabio Vieira brings to the table because he's incredibly creative. Not expecting the world from him right at the beginning. I think it will take him time to get into things. I think it will take him time to adapt to life at Arsenal, but he's certainly someone that can produce uh, the kind of creativity that you're referring to there. And I look forward to seeing what he brings uh, alongside some of those other players I've mentioned as well. Um, let's see uh, what else we've got in the chat, and then we're going to um, then we're going to jump over to uh, Mikel Arteta's press conference. Comdine uh, Masumi says uh, was hoping to see more of Lakonga, to be honest, but hoping he will get more minutes midweek. Yeah, and and this is the thing as well, like. You know, we talk about the starting 11, we talk about who comes on, who doesn't, who's in the squad, who's not. Ultimately, a lot of it at this stage in preseason, as I say, comes down to fitness, comes down to shape, comes down to where you're at in terms of your preseason on a personal level. And, you know, I'm not saying that Lokonga isn't ready and I'm not saying that Lokonga isn't uh, going to be um, ready for the start of the season, but you know, there is always that element to consider. And, and sometimes certain players need more minutes. Others uh, are still at the point where they're building up their fitness. And a lot of that plays into the manager's thinking and into the staff's thinking when picking teams for these preseason friendlies. And that is information and that is analysis that we as onlookers don't have access to. So I wouldn't take the fact that Salib, uh, I keep going to say Saliba, that Lakonga didn't play that long as an indication of what his role will be next season. You know, I think if we don't go and get another midfield player, and I know that Zinchenko is on the verge of coming in, the update on that is that the fee has been agreed, around about £30 million, that discussions are currently ongoing over personal terms, but that's not really believed to be a problem. I think we'll get that over the line pretty quickly. But, you know, is there an argument that we could do with another midfielder? Maybe 
Um, will we get one? I'm not so sure. I don't think so. I think we'll probably look to bring in a winger now. I think that'll be the next port of call for Arsenal. That'll be the next thing that they try and do before the window closes. But yeah, I mean, going back to Lekonga, because I've, I've digressed a little bit, the point I'm trying to make here is that I wouldn't read into the fact that he didn't play an awful lot and let that be the basis of my opinion in terms of what role he's going to have next season. I think he is part of the plans. I think he is part of the bigger picture. If he wasn't, I think that Arsenal would be trying to move him out on loan. Maybe they are behind the scenes. I don't know. But at this moment, we've had no indication that that is the case. Uh, big thank you to Ahmed uh, Adem as well. Uh, thank you for your very, very kind donation. Uh, really, really appreciate it. He says, love listening to your reasonable analysis for the Arsenal, Harry. Keep up the good work. Thank you so, so much, mate. Really, really do uh, appreciate it. Um, what else have we got in the chat box? You know what? We'll pause the chat box. We'll come back to it. Let's go over to Mikel Arteta's press conference because there were some really interesting bits from it. Now, I'm not going to take you through every word because you can watch it. It's on YouTube. You can read the entire transcript on the club's website if you prefer uh, to do that as well. But there are uh, some lines that I want to take out of this. Um, he spoke about Gabriel Jesus. He said he looks really sharp, really dynamic. He's got a really great understanding with his teammates straight away. They're looking for him. He's generating chances. There are good connections around specific spaces that we want to exploit with him, especially. And yeah, we're really, really happy. Um, he was asked whether number nine is his best position. Again, a debate that a lot of people have been having over the summer. And Mikel said he well, he's very versatile. But obviously, the way we would like to develop him is in that position but not on his own sometimes. Don't close that door because Gabby in relation to what, because Gabby in relation to what the opponent does in certain games, we're going to have to use him in different positions. He's open to that and he knows it's part of his strength as well. Um, really, really interesting. There was a lot of, um, there was a lot of uh, Gabriel Jesus questions. Uh, there were questions about Matt Turner. Mikel Arteta said he's really happy with him, the way he's settled in. He's an extraordinary character, has a lot of personality, and he's great at what we want. Obviously, it was a big moment for him to come in an Arsenal shirt to the States and play in front of the crowd, and he did well. Uh, he asked, or he was asked, Mikel Arteta, that is, what he wants to see from Turner. He said that he continues to do the same, and he will keep having chances to play. He was very... Um, very positive. Uh, also, the boss about the fans in Baltimore. Uh, he said he thinks it was about um, 40 odd thousand supporters inside the stadium, 35,000 of which were Arsenal fans. He says, thank you so much for them to come. They really make a difference. The players appreciated that. And that's why we did the lap of honour with them. It was incredible. And we're so happy. Thank you. Um, he was also asked what a crowd can do for a player's confidence. And he said, for some of them, it's the first time that they're experiencing this in the States. And that means that they start to get some recognition all around the world. And that's great for the boys and the work that they're doing. Um, he was also then asked about a couple of other bits. And these are the really juicy bits. Now, there were some juicy bits already, but these are the bits for me that really kind of uh, take it to a new level now. Um, Mikel Arteta was asked about Bukayo Saka and the rumours about a potential contract extension for the Arsenal and England man. He said, we will try and we both have the same intention and it's a matter of time. Now, I don't want to say get excited, but get excited. 
This is the first indication we've had from Arsenal Football Club that talks with Bukayo Saka have at the very, very least started on a positive front. And that gives me encouragement that if we keep recruiting the way we're recruiting, if we keep showing progress as a team, we can tie Bukayo Saka down to a better long-term contract and keep him happy. He's going to be key in the future of this team and in the future of this football club. And I'm delighted to see that Mikel Arteta is in good spirits around the possibility of that happening. He didn't need to give us the it's a matter of time bit. And I actually think what, what's important, though, is when you watch this press conference, it might be taken in a slightly different context to reading it. But that line, it's a matter of time, gives me some confidence. So fingers crossed. Uh, we're moving forward on that. Uh, Mikel was asked about William Saliba's performance. He said he was really good. I think he played a really good game. He looked really composed straight away from day one. He's looked completely focused. He's evolved the way we wanted. And today, I think he had a great performance. Again, reiterating the point that the loan move was a really, really good thing um, for William Saliba. And maybe William Saliba didn't see it at the time. Maybe Arsenal fans didn't see it at the time. But I think the more... He shows composure. The more he shows his development, I think the more people will be um, sort of acknowledging of the fact that, yeah, you know, it kind of needed to happen. Um, it did happen, not in the ideal way, but actually there are a lot of benefits, um, you know, that have come off the back of that for us as a football team and for him as a player. And I think sometimes it's a bit like your parents, right? Like I'm not saying that William Saliba sees Mikel Arteta like a dad or anything or like a parent. But the point I'm trying to make is like sometimes when you're young and, you know, you, you're inexperienced, you're a little bit wet behind the ears, you don't always realise when somebody is giving you sound advice until afterwards. I mean, the classic case is when your parents used to say to you, enjoy school. It's the best years of your life. And you used to go, oh my God, I don't want to be at school. I want to go to work. I want to earn some money. I want to move forward in life. This is so boring. Who wants to be a kid? And then when you get older and you've got responsibilities and stresses, real stresses, other than losing a game of FIFA and things like that, you start to think, oh man, how easy was, was life when I was a little kid? Um, and you realize that that advice was really sound advice, but at the time you couldn't see it. I've had that on many occasions. My parents have told me many things that at the time I thought, oh, just shush, like, you're driving me crazy here. You're just being a parent, like, relax, chill out. And now looking back at it, now that I'm a parent, for example, I look at it and I go, bloody hell, that was sound advice. And again, I'm not saying that Saliba will see Mikel Arteta as a parent, but, you know, he, he didn't like being told that he wasn't part of the plan at the moment. He didn't like being told that he wasn't quite ready. He didn't like... um being told that, you know, he, he probably wasn't going to play a lot at Arsenal in his current form and in his current state, and he needed to go elsewhere and build himself up. Nobody wants to hear that. But I think, although he might not say it publicly, if he does go on to have a good season with Arsenal and he does go on to really, really impress and raise his profile um, further, then I think behind the scenes, William Saliba will be looking at that decision that Mikel Arteta took um, not the not the one to to leave him unregistered, but the decision he took to move him out on loan again to Marseille, because I think that was the most useful of the loan spells he's been on. I think he'll look at it and go, I didn't see it at the time, but you know what? Maybe it was the best thing for me. But we'll see. We'll see. Uh, G. Will says Saliba was always this good. He wasn't. He really, really wasn't. Let's, let's be honest, he wasn't. 
Um, Saliba going to Marseille really did take his game up to another level. There were glimpses, obviously, prior to that, which is why he went for so much money and why there were clubs interested in him. But the William Saliba today is not the same William Saliba that we had 12 months ago when we were deciding what to do with his future. Let's not pretend that he was, because that's just wholly inaccurate. And that's, you know, there's a lot of people in France that have followed his career far closer than I have who will back up that point. Um, but yeah, it feels like it was a good move. It feels like he's come back a much better player and I'm excited to see uh, what happens uh, with him in what's to come uh, this season. Um, ben White, obviously not in the team, not in the squad either. Um, Mikel Arteta was asked about Ben White's fitness and he said he had a niggle in his quad and we had to protect him. But he trained with the squad yesterday, so hopefully he will be all right. So a slight niggle there. Niggles are going to happen in preseason, right? You've you really dropped your your level um, over the course of the summer in terms of keeping your fitness up. And I know that people talk about players nowadays, you know, being very hardworking, even in the summers, making sure they maintain a basic level of fitness. But it's different to playing games, right? There's there's no doubt about it. Being in the gym is one thing. Going out on a pitch and playing against a physical opponent is another. So Arsenal right to protect him, in my opinion, if there was a niggle. But based on what Mikel Arteta said, it doesn't appear too serious in this uh, a lot of optimism around the fact that he'll probably be ready for the start of the season. Um, he was also asked about any other injury problems within the squad because there were a number of other players uh, missing from the group as well. And he said, we had a kit, we had a slight problem with Kieran Tierney. Surprise, surprise, Kieran Tierney injured. But look, he's been out for a long time. He's returned to preseason off the back of a very long-term injury. And this, again, is probably a speed bump in the road towards full recovery so again not going to read into this too much but you know it's it's just it's worrying the frequency with which we hear these things about Kieran Tierney and it's why so many people were desperate to see Arsenal bring in a player who can fill in that position because there isn't really a lot of trust around Nuno Tavares among the fan base at the moment um you know obviously we've gone out and we've made a move for Zinchenko and I'm I'm pretty confident now that we're going to get that deal over the line not a left back primarily, not the position that I'd start him in when everybody's available, but certainly someone who can fill that role and can do it in a way that really suits Mikel Arteta's game model. Now, I said to you guys the other day, I've been putting together some tactical analysis, which I'm going to bring to you a little bit closer to the start of the season where maybe we've got the majority of our transfer business wrapped up and we can discuss it and we can talk about that game model and we can talk about how some of the new signings will fit into that, what they'll bring to the equation as well. Um, but yeah, Kieran Tierney's still on the road to re full recovery. So I'm not surprised that he's picked up a, a little problem. Um, the fact that it's Kieran Tierney makes me even less surprised than I would be with somebody else. Uh, but that's another story for another day. Uh, also, uh, Emil Smith-Rowe had a muscular niggle, which kept him out. Takiro Tomiyasu. Uh, as well with a slight muscular issue. But again, these things are very natural when it comes to preseason and when it comes to really upping um, your in uh, your intensity levels. Uh, but he says the rest of them are fine, but it's a matter of days with those players. So we think that those players will be uh, hopefully back in the picture ahead of the new season. Uh, he was also asked about Fabio Vieira. Of course, we're all eager to see what Fabio Vieira uh, looks like in an Arsenal shirt, on the pitch, in the flesh. And, uh, and Mikel Arteta said that he had a slight problem in his bone. 
and hopefully he will start to train in the next week or so. So, uh, yeah, not the greatest update uh, when it comes uh, to Fabio Vieira, but hopefully he'll be back sooner rather than later. Okay, look, we've been going for around about 40 minutes or so. Let's get uh, a final few questions in the live chat box. I'll pick up as many of those as I can in the next sort of 10 minutes, and then we will wrap up today's show unless of course something else happens unless of course there's some breaking news that we need to keep you across what i would say if you are an audio only listener make sure you're subscribed to the chronicles of aguna youtube channel as well because there are chronicles of aguna extra pieces of content just short videos eight ten minute videos that we've been doing throughout the transfer window just bringing you guys some updates as and when things break and obviously if you're an audio listener you won't have access to those so please please do um make sure that um that you're subscribed on that as well we talked about the zinchenko update yesterday for example about the fact that that fee had been agreed that fabrizio romano was reporting that in the morning and if you are as i say an audio only listener you would have missed that so uh, make sure you're subscribed across platform um right let's get some of those questions in start filling up the chat box uh, let's quickly check in where we're at in terms of likes i set a target of 300 we're on 247 at the moment. That's not anywhere near good enough, guys. You know what? I'm going to raise it uh, to 400 now because there's over 800 of you with me. Get liking, get subscribing to the channel as well if you are new. And it's the final few days to get yourself into our giveaway competition. If you want the opportunity to win one of three Arsenal home shirts that I'm giving away uh, on behalf of the podcast, then please, please do go over to Twitter at Chronicles underscore AFC and follow the instructions in the pinned tweet. Alternatively, if you're not a Twitter user, you can email me. The address is chroniclesafc at gmail.com. Uh, enter by sending me a little note there just saying that you'd like to have your name thrown in the hat. I've had so many entries. I'm still working my way through uh, replying to them. I might not even ever get around to replying to all of them. There's that many. So thank you uh, for your interest, I guess, when there's something available for free. That's what happens, right? I'm just playing. But yeah, um, I have read every single one and there have been some amazing comments in there as well. So thank you. Uh, but I haven't had a chance and I probably, well, I might not get a chance to reply to every single one. Doesn't mean your entry hasn't gone in. They've all been received. Uh, I just haven't had a chance uh, to work my way through them just yet. I'm supposed to be chilling in preseason. I was supposed to be taking it a little bit easier um, to kind of recharge those batteries, and it's just really not worked out that way. Uh, let's take this question then from Dave, who says, uh, Hi, Harry, I have a feeling Arsenal are going after Sane. What do, would you think if we do get him? I really like Leroy Sane. When he came to Manchester City, I thought he was going to go on and be one of the Premier League greats. I really did. I rated him that highly. And I still do um, rate him in terms of his ability. You know, he's 26 years old, um, 45 plus caps for Germany. Um, you know, a really, really impressive player. He can play really from either flank as well. Um, obviously left Manchester City um, back in 2020 to join Bayern Munich in a deal worth around about £54 million. But like a lot of players, Leroy Sane, I believe, progress has really been stunted by injury problems. There's been, and I, I haven't checked this yet, I'm actually checking it right now as I speak, but there have been some long-term problems with Leroy Sane that have undoubtedly set him back. I mean, you look at this, the cruciate ligament injury that he picked up 
in the 1920 season whilst at Manchester City. He kept him out for 216 days, 44 games. Um, and I think that really kind of damaged his prospects of becoming a, a real hit and success in the Premier League. But there was enough before that to see what a talented player he is. Um, but again, fitness would be a big concern for me. So I'm not sure if I were in charge of Arsenal, if I'd sanction a big money deal for somebody like Leroy Sane. But if he was available at a reduced price, because it hasn't really worked as as well as people would have hoped at Bayern, then, you know, I'm, I'm for taking a punt. I'm for taking a gamble on it. I think he'd suit our system down to a T. Really good player. But I don't really believe that this has got too much credence to it at the moment as a story. I really don't believe there are many... There, you know, there's an awful lot of legs in this. So I'm going to reserve getting excited or carried away by it. Uh, what else have we got in the chat box? Let's take this one from Steve, who says, um, a massive drop-off still if Partey isn't in the midfield. Would you be worried if we fail to strengthen in that area? Um, yeah, uh, I would be. Because I think that, you know, Arsenal with Thomas Partey and without Thomas Partey are two very, very different propositions. And that does scare me. You know, that does uh, that does scare me. I do think, though, that we've got to be realistic about what Arsenal can do in this window. And if you think about the players that we're being linked with, aside from Zinchenko, you know, who I think will be it in terms of midfield signings, if I'm being honest. That's my opinion. Um you know, people have talked about Tielemans. Can Tielemans be a lone midfield pivot? I don't think so. Can Lucas Paqueta? I don't think so either. I think he's much more offensive than defensive. Um, so I kind of look at it and I think that if I were Mikel Arteta, what, what is my thinking? Does he think that Xhaka can do it? Again, I'm not saying that he can before people start jumping on me, but does he think that he can? Does he think that Lakonga can eventually be that? Does he think that Alexander Zinchenko could do that? Does he think that with William Saliba coming in, Ben White could do that? I think in Mikel Arteta's mind, there are options, more options than we as a fan base probably can see. And, and that might come from seeing them in training. That might come from conversations with the players. That might come from a, a deeper inside knowledge that we just don't have. So I think it's a problem, but I'm not sure that Mikel Arteta sees it as a real problem at this moment in time, based on the transfer activity that we've seen from the club so far. Mickey says, question, Harry, if the intention is to have two players of equal competence in each position, can you match up the current squad to see where we are in regard at present? We'd have to do that. We'll do that um, just before the season starts. As I say, when we've got a better picture of what our squad's going to look like with, with regards to further incomings, but also outgoings, then I think we can kind of map that out and we'll do that on a on a live show and get you guys' input as well. Um, I think that would that's the dream that every manager has, right? But it's not always realistic. And if you've got really standout players, it's not always easy to find, you know, players of equal competence, as you put it, that are going to be happy with that role, which is an issue as well. Uh, big shout out to Lord Gunner as well in the live chat. I hope you're good, mate. Um, Patrick Carlson says, what do you think of the tackles in the preseason games? Both Arsenal versus Everton and Spurs versus Sevilla were real battlegrounds. Last year, we lost Partey in the Chelsea game. Listen, I get that as a professional footballer, as a manager, as a, a fan who's gone and paid money to go and see a preseason game, and in a lot of cases, has paid a lot of money to travel 
to that game. You want to see it as competitive as it can possibly be. But I think there's got to be a bit of common sense applied. And, you know, some of the tackles from Everton last night, I haven't seen the Spurs stuff. All I saw was that clip of um, Son getting involved with a Sevilla player and Richarlison and Romero coming across and Spurs fans sort of wetting themselves about it as if it was some big deal. Richarlison's always been a troublemaker. Um, it wasn't because he loves Son and wants to protect Son. It's because he's a hothead and he can't control himself. But going back to the Arsenal-Everton game, there was a challenge on Jesus in the first half I really didn't like. I think it was from Godfrey, where he really followed through. And I didn't like that. And I didn't like the challenge um, later on in the game um, from, was it Tarkovsky? I think it was Tarkovsky. I think I made a note of it on my phone when I was watching the game because I did want to moan about this. Um, yeah, on Lokonga. That's a horrible challenge. And again, completely and totally unnecessary. And um, and I'm, I am i don't like that. You know, I think that as a manager, you always want your players to be competitive, combative, et cetera, et cetera. But for me, you know, there, there's a line um, when it comes to preseason friendlies. And I think, unfortunately, for whatever reason, Everton crossed that. Let's just hope that there isn't any uh, implications moving forward for those players involved. Let's uh, take a couple more uh, questions. Uh, Rancid says, uh, do you think we sign Zinchenko more for midfield or defence? I think primarily he's coming in as a midfielder, but I think he will um, be well aware of the possibility that he'll cover at left-back if Arsenal need him to. Uh, Mike Carpenter says, do you think our midfield will be too left-footed if we don't get anyone else? It's a good point. Um, it is a good point, you know, but... I've seen midfields that you would argue are too right-footed and that doesn't seem to be a massive problem. So maybe it isn't really as big a deal as we're making it out. But a good question, an interesting question. Um, Nakata says, um, did Arteta drop a hint in the interview that we're still in the market searching for a more typical number nine? I don't think he did. Um, I don't actually think that Mikel Arteta is too tied down to the idea of having a specific... Um, you know, a specific purpose-built, if you want to use that phrase, number nine. I don't think he's too bothered about the profile as long as the striker does what he wants him to do. I think that we can get tied down by these profiles, right? Like, for example, number 10s. You know, we talk a lot about number 10s. Are number 10s becoming obsolete? Well, Martin Odegaard, for example, is not an out-and-out -out number 10. You know, he doesn't just drift centrally behind the front line. He drifts to the right. He comes deeper. He's all over the place. And so I think a lot of the time we we, we tie these players to specific profiles. But in actual fact, they're not. They're not what we think um, they are exactly. So, uh, yeah, that's where um, that's where I am. That's where I am on that. I don't think that we'd be getting another forward in. I really don't. Okay, um, look, we're going to leave it there. We're going to wrap it up. We've been going for the best part of an hour. Have we hit our likes goal of 400? No, we're on 300. So come on, hit the like button if you haven't done so already uh, before we leave. Um, I'm going to catch up with you lot a little bit later on, um, probably tomorrow now, unless, as I say, something breaks. I want to kind of have a day off today. I really do. I want to just chill out and enjoy myself and, and sort of recharge ahead of what's going to be another busy week in the world of Arsenal, I'm sure. Uh, but thank you all 
uh, as always for your support uh, thank you as always for tuning in don't forget to like don't forget to subscribe and if you're listening via the audio platforms please do leave us a review i'll catch you all very very soon until next time thanks for listening goodbye i'm martin tyler and you're listening to harry Simeon.